God's Love Language, a podcast designed for Christian discipleship with emphasis on developing our relationship and fellowship with God. Now, here is our host, Joe Enlow. Greetings and welcome back to God's Love Language with Joe Inlow. I am your host, Joe Inlow. And I hope this episode finds you doing well and moving towards your goal of becoming like Jesus. We have an exciting show for you today. But first, I would like to say a special hello to all of my friends and listeners in the United Kingdom. How about that? Specifically to those of you in the London area, and in Ireland, and in Scotland. Thank you for listening. Blessings to you, and may the Lord keep you safe and healthy. I do have you on my bucket list, and I hope that one day I will be able to visit that area. The Inlow coat of arms is said to have originated in England, and I do hope to find out when I visit in the future. All right, I will be covering the attributes of the pastor and evangelist today, but first, I feel the Spirit leading me to say something. As I have interacted with pastors, professors, and fellow podcasters, one thing that seems to be believed by all is that God is calling all Christians to move into a deeper walk with Him. It is time to grasp who you are in Christ, put your big boy or girl shoes on, and totally devote your life to Christ. You know, John 3.16 is for getting saved, and that's great. It's for getting saved and to have eternal life, but to receive the rewards that are added when you are obedient to Jesus, you must realize that your ministry, your purpose, your mission in this life was determined by God, and the only way to find it and accomplish it is by becoming obedient to Him. You must hear His voice, do His will, and bring glory to Him. You have no other purpose on this earth but to serve God, and it all begins with your individual relationship with God. That is why I often say that it's not about you, but you can reap the benefits. The benefits include the blessings while here on earth, for sure, but even better are the rewards that are handed out at the judgment seat of Christ. That is described in 2 Corinthians 5, 10-11, and in 1 Corinthians 3, 10-15. You were put here for no other purpose than to become as much like Jesus as humanly possible and to bring glory to God as Jesus did. God owns everything, including you. You are to put away all selfishness, greed, and self-elevation. Humble yourselves and serve God with all your body, soul, and spirit. Do not let the enemy deceive you into thinking you need to live for yourself, your own pleasures and accomplishments. This life is where we act on our own free will and turn our desires over to God. That is where we glorify God the most. We surrender our free will and its desire for self-gratification on earth to obey the Lord and store up treasures in heaven, even without ever having seen a physical God. If you ponder that for a moment, it will blow your mind. Who would do that? That is why the angels watch in awe as a human submits to the will of God. Doesn't make sense sometimes. One of my professors has said, you become what you think about. You think about and concentrate on Jesus, and you begin to act more and more like him. Of course, 
that is what I have said in slightly different words in my previous episodes on about thoughts and behaviors in our podcast. The reverse is also true. If you think about worldly things, concentrate on worldly things, you will move away from God and become worldly. As it says in 1 John 2, 15-17, there are three worldly things that we must overcome. One, the lust of the eye. Two, the lust of the flesh. And three, the boastful pride of life. Even Jesus were both tempted by these three things. Eve in the garden, Jesus in the wilderness. Eve failed, Jesus did not. Satan tempts you with the same things, promises you things that meet each of these lusts. In fact, Satan fell from heaven because of these lusts. The sinful nature is at home with these three lusts, and they are very difficult to overcome. All seek to please the self. All put the person first. All will lead to a defeated life because that is not how God designed it. Are you? That is why when you give these desires to God, seeking him only, chasing the gifts of the spirit and become a humble servant that surrenders totally to the desires of God, he sees it as the greatest gift you could possibly give him because you are surrendering your humanity back to him out of your own free will. Amen? You get justified at your conversion through the sacrifice of Jesus. Your sins are forgiven. You spend the rest of your life becoming sanctified through our gradual conversion into Christ-likeness, and then after you die, you receive glorification by your overcoming life, just like Jesus did. Revelation is full of the glory that he walked into by being obedient. God's love language is about helping you become sanctified by changing the way you live and by renewing your mind, body, and spirit, your Change is the most important element in living a successful Christian life, and that is why we are spending so much time with the individual relationship. None of the rest of my insight into the proper functioning of the family will work as it should if you are not on track to live for God. You need to have this as your ultimate vision or goal. To make it to heaven, having accomplished all that you were called to do here on earth, Starting here and now, do all things in your life to reach that goal. Pray every day that God will strengthen you when you accomplish this goal, and and little by little, you will get there. Your path may not be straight, but you will get there. Now you know. Let us continue with the individual. Remember, I'm giving you a general overview of each office of the fivefold ministries and their characteristics. I will discuss the deeper implications of understanding each office as I talk about each relationship, the further one, the marriage one, the parenting, being a child, and being a sibling. This one is about the individual. The individual must have a grasp on each ministry, each ministry's characteristics to function at the most efficient level of Christianity. All right. In the previous episode, we discussed the attributes and characteristics of a teacher and basically realize that anyone who is a Christian should be a teacher at some level. You will grow as a Christian when you give away knowledge. Remember, to teach it once is to have learned it twice. It strengthens your character 
and steadfastness. You will use the teaching skill almost every day of your life, especially if you have children. Teaching is also at the core of a pastor. You will be a pastor to friends, siblings, and behaviorally, at the, you know, by your actions, people watch your actions, to basically anyone that crosses your path. The church definition of a pastor is a leader of a church that cares for people and their spiritual needs like a shepherd would care for the physical needs of sheep. The formal office is when you are ordained and put in a leadership position with a local church. The Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible puts it like this, pastor, word literally meaning shepherd, used in both the Old Testament and the New Testament in a figurative sense for rulers and leaders. Of the 12 times the word is used in the New Testament as a metaphor for leader, it is translated as pastor only in Ephesians 4.11. The New Testament imagery comes from an Old Testament and Palestinian background. In the Jewish economy, the shepherd who tended a flock of sheep or goats held a responsible position. Great flocks had to be moved from place to place, and it was necessary that they be guarded from wild animals and robbers. Because of the fundamental role of shepherding in the ancient world, the word shepherd became a common term for a ruler. The kings of Assyria, Babylon, and Egypt were often referred to as shepherds who protected their people. This imagery formed the background for the Old Testament, where the same usage is found. God is pictured as the shepherd of Israel, concerned for every aspect of his people's welfare. Rulers and leaders of the people are often referred to as shepherds. So, just not in the basic shepherd sense, but people who are over people, who are of accountability for those people, can be shepherds or pastors. By the time of Jeremiah, shepherd begins to be used as a title for the coming Messiah. God himself undertakes to provide for his flock and promises to provide faithful shepherds who are concerned for his people. He explicitly promises that he will be their God and will set the messianic son of David as shepherd over them. Remember, David was a shepherd. Ephesians 4.11 speaks of leaders of the church as shepherds or pastors. And this usage continued in the early church and down until the present day. Paul says that they are special people given to the church by God to care for God's people as a shepherd does his sheep, leading and teaching them in the ways of God. Pastors and teachers together formed a group which complemented the work of apostles, prophets, and evangelists. The titles bishop and elder refer to the same office in the New Testament. And pastor seems to be practically synonymous with them, as shown by Jesus being referred to as the shepherd and bishop of your souls. That's in 1 Peter 2.25 in the King James Version. The verb to shepherd is used to describe the work of local church leaders, and often the congregation is called a flock. It is the pastor's responsibility to build up the body of Christ by watching over the congregation and countering false teaching. All right, I can hear 
some of you saying, Hey, Joe, I'm not a pastor of a church, and God willing, I never will be. Remember, of course, some of you do want to be pastors, and that's commendable. But remember, ultimately, this teaching is to make you the best disciple of Jesus as possible so that we can do the will of the Father here on earth. Look at what the pastor does again. These same attributes and characteristics are required to shepherd anything God puts under your care, especially a family. Even the care of pets and animals in your possession will require you to exhibit pastoral care. I am trying to get you to understand that your performance and responsibility to God will include that you learn the proper care and concern of anything God puts under your care. Parents will often get their children a pet when they think they can properly take care of one. Sometimes it's a fish, hamster, dog, cat, whatever. Basically, and if you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. What we're trying to do is to teach our children to demonstrate a pastoral care in its basic sense. Basically, you got to feed them and take care of them. Each step is a building block so that eventually you will be able to pastor a family. The family process and responsibilities should not be the first time you are exposed to performing pastoral care. This whole process is also creating a godly spirit of care and love for others as well as teaching humility. God does the same to his children, adding more and more responsibility as we show maturity and capability. The pastor differs from an evangelist in that the pastor is usually planted in one place to continue the, to provide the message and or to help the new convert develop into a disciple of Christ. Learning to pastor your flock, whether it be a church, a home group, or your children and a spouse, takes special abilities. In my experience, it is even more difficult for the male Christian. In Ephesians, God had to command men to love their wives, but he did not have to do that for the women. Women seem to have been created to love. It takes more effort on the part of men and with a few women. Pastoring will require that we put our needs on the back burner frequently. But that same requirement is what helps us learn to be humble, which we know from the word is an attribute we are required to have, right? After all, it is not about us. I feel that a pastoring or I feel that pastoring is the basic and most important ability needed to raise a family and operate in the world at large. Pastoral attributes will help you thrive in the world outside your family of origin. The greatest type of leader is a servant leader, like Jesus was. You must care for those that you are responsible for and to. When you learn this type of leadership and techniques in familial relationships, then you can run a business with the same techniques. When you learn pastoral attributes growing up in your family of origin or as an adult, attributes such as caring, counseling, conflict resolution, and communication, just to name a few, those successful techniques and attributes will transfer into your occupational life, educational endeavors, personal goals, and extended relationships. It helps develop the servant's heart and therefore the servant leadership traits, just like Jesus demonstrated. It develops patience, humbleness, 
character, justice, godliness, devotion, steadfastness, loyalty, caring, and many other traits of a pastor. And guess what? These skills are keys to a successful marriage. But we'll talk more on that when we get to marriage. In closing this section on pastoral skills, remember the story of King David. David was the youngest brother that was given the task of shepherding his family's flocks. The skills David learned while being a shepherd changed the history of the world. David learned to be brave in the face of danger, facing lions and bears. He also learned pinpoint accuracy with his sling, which gave him the ability to find the openings in the armor of Goliath. But most importantly, he learned that God was in charge, and he had nothing to fear when facing what appeared to be insurmountable odds. He became bold and courageous with a godly determination to do the Lord's work, and the rest is, as they say, history. Now let's talk about the office of the evangelist. What is an evangelist? One who proclaims the good news or who preaches the gospel. These terms are both derived from angelos, which means messenger. That's where we get our word angels, because angels are messengers. Acts 21.8 and Ephesians 4.11 speak of an office. But 2 Timothy 4.5 indicates an activity incumbent upon Timothy. So he does evangelism. In these passages, the evangelist is distinguished from the apostolic office. The evangelist delivers the same apostolic message, but without the same level of authority as the apostle. Although the companion word, angelos, appears often in secular literature, the evangelist is is very rare. It is used in Christendom or Christian literature exclusively for one who carries on the preaching of the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was an evangelist, for he preached the gospel. Paul was an evangelist as well as an apostle, and Philip, the deacon, was also an evangelist, as was Timothy, the pastor, and indeed all the early disciples who, upon being driven out of Jerusalem, went about preaching the word. But Ephesians 4.11 teaches that one particular order of the ministry, distinguished from every other, is singled out distinctly by the head of the church for this work. All may possess the gift of an evangelist in a measure and be obligated to exercise its privilege and duty, but some are specially endued with it. The evangelist may have no fixed place or church home base, but moves about in different localities preaching the gospel to those previously ignorant of it. As these individuals are converted and united to Jesus, by faith the work of the pastor and teacher begins to instruct them further in the way of Christ and build them up in the faith. The evangelist is one of Christ's gifts to the church. The meaning of the term indicates that the task of such a person is to function as a spokesperson. That's be a spokesperson for the church, for the church at large. We're talking about the whole church. And proclaiming the gospel to the world. An evangelist is like an apostle in function, except that being an apostle involved a personal relationship to Jesus during his earthly ministry. So we see that 
one characteristic of an evangelist is cheerfully and lovingly planting the seeds of the message of Christ into lost hearts. You may not always see the results of your efforts, but an evangelist proudly shares the wonderful work and message of God. It requires the boldness of a lion and the patience of a successful salesperson. Most salespersons have at least twice as many rejections, usually more, maybe 90, 95% more, as, as successful sales. Not many can handle that type of rejection. I know I hate it. And not many can summon the courage to approach strangers or even acquaintances to share the gospel. Most of our meeting with evangelists have taken place at churches or revivals. The truth about the characteristics of all the fivefold ministry offices is that at any given time or day, we may be required to operate temporarily in that office. That is why God requires that we develop the basic skills of each. It takes a special calling to do this full-time evangelism, but having the ability to evangelize in your area of influence is one of the best traits and character-building techniques you could ever acquire. You can become fearless, and it help, helps you learn to read people, to be able to learn how people react by facial expressions. And it requires that you know the word in and out or to at least to a good degree so that you'll be able to answer the difficult questions people may ask you. God will usually move you up through the ranks of teacher, pastor, and then evangelist, but not always. Not everybody who's an evangelist was a pastor. You will need these skills to help teach your children and relatives around you. It will sharpen your interactive communication skills with fellow brothers and sisters of Christ. It will teach you people skills, listening skills, and will help you develop your apologetic skills. And apologetics is that branch of theology devoted to the defense of the divine origin and authority of Christianity. That's how we defend what we believe. Know the word before venturing out in this office. Know the word to build your confidence in the Lord. Know the word so that you know what the word is not saying. People get mixed up sometimes, so you have to study the word. Your future children will challenge you on what you want them to believe. The sweet, loving, and caring words from an evangelist type of person or type of parent will pay great dividends. And we'll talk more on that when we get to talk about children. It's good to have the basics. That concludes this month's lesson. I hope your prayers are answered. And I hope that God keeps you and yours healthy and keeps any sickness far from your doorstep. May God bless you and keep you and drop me a message if you have the time. Remember, I will never ask you for money and I will not put you on an unsolicited email list. I am doing this out of obedience to God, and he always provides the means. Blessings. Thank you for listening to today's teaching. If you would like more information about our podcast and subject matter, or if you would like to leave a comment, go to GodsLoveLanguage.com. Or you may email Joe at jnlow at godslovelanguage.com. 